The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Ann Mulholland. I'm Pastor John's wife, and I'm going to be reading from Revelations 21, verses 1 to 7. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had passed away, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will freely give from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings and I will be their God and they will be my children. I thought about giving her a kiss there, but I wasn't sure how you guys would reply, so that would have been fine. You would have gotten over it, right? Um, <laughs> let's see. Yeah, there's only one way to find out. Hey, um, I'm John, and I'm one of the pastors here at Westway, and I'm so thankful that you are, um, that you are here with us uh, today. We are finishing up our Revelation series uh, this morning. We're going to be talking about chapters 21 and 22, so I would encourage you if you have your Bible, to open to, um, to Revelation 21, 22, um, these, two ver- these two chapters should be almost as easy to find as Genesis 1 and 2 on the other side of the Bible. So these are the very last two chapters of the Bible. We're finishing out this series today. And when we finish out a series, people ask me, like, what, are, what happens next? So we finished Revelation. What are we, what are we doing next? If you have been uh, part of Westway for the past few years, you know that the end of July and August look a little bit different um, for whoever is usually speaking um, up front. Uh, and the reason for that is really intentional. Um, I try to take as much um, Sundays off in August so I can plan for our fall series, which is going to be on the book of Judges, which starts in September. So over the next seven, um, seven weeks or so, um, you're going to see me up here a few times, and you're going to see Pastor Joe and Pastor Cody a lot um, over the next month and a half. And I'm excited for that. Um, the next two weeks, we're going to talk about missions. What do, wh- what do missions look like here at Westway Christian Church, and what does it mean for us to be on mission? How do we participate in God's mission, God's purpose for the world, and then like um, then like Deb said, on the eighth we are doing our food pack on that Sunday during our ten fifteen, and that's something we've done for the last two years. And the first time we did it, uh, I was a little unsure. I was a little unsure how many people were going to not come for a worship gathering and instead uh, come to pack food. And you guys uh, just killed it. And then we did it again last year, so we're going to do that again this year on August eighth. And we encourage you to all come and be a part of that. And then we're going to spend a few weeks talking about small groups, the importance of community and relationship in growing in our relationship with God and growing in our relationship with other people. Because Christians, I want you to hear this, 
um, it's really hard for you to grow in isolation. I know that we have, like, I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you are a follower of Christ, you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But here's the thing. When we read through the New Testament, we, we don't see any context for individual Christians. We don't see any context for, for just me and Jesus and, and no one else matters, no one else counts. So one of the things that we do because of that is we have small groups. We have Bible studies together. And I want to encourage you to be excited for that. I want to encourage you to be ready for that in the fall. Um, the content that, we, that, we've, that we've been praying about and working through and our elders have been reading it and we have a group of people that are meeting on Sunday nights I'm going through, this, so, through it so we are ready for this is just fantastic. And I'm just trusting in God that it is going to be a tremendous influence on our church body um, going forward. Um, so one of the things that we do during our message time is we, we throw up that if you have questions about something that you hear today, you're allowed to text, text, um, text your question to, to the number that's on the screen. And last week, I got two questions um, that, were, that were texted. Um, the first one was from someone, and it said, um, you know what? I forgot the question. Hold on one second. Like, this is awesome. This is just who we are here. So if you, can, if you can survive stuff like this, you are, you are going to make it at Westway Christian Church. Um, let me find this question. Did you hear about the pig that drank 10 beers in town? That was the question I got. Okay. My response was, do tell. Yeah, he went wee-wee all the way home. <laughs> if you were here last week, you completely get that. And if you weren't here last week, um, man, you just got to be here. You just got to come. Um, part of our mission and vision and values and preferred culture here at Westway, who we are is, um, is fun. And I'm, I'm really grateful to be, to be part of a church that has fun, that laughs. Like when I said it the first time and several of you laughed, I had no idea what was going on. And then I said it the second time and then it just made all the sense in the world. So thank, thank you, seriously. Thank you for, for helping this, this gathering of people, um, this church, be a place that people want to be a part of. Because that's, it's less on me and more on you. Does that make sense? Like when people walk in here on a Sunday morning, the way they encounter us is, is, is more likely going to have more to do whether or not they return than anything they might hear from the front. And that's not denying the power of the gospel. Um, I think it's proclaiming the power of the gospel. Because we say this all the time. Um, the way we are together, the way we are with one another is a proclamation of the gospel. When people feel welcome when they walk in the door, we are proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. And another part of our preferred culture is discipling and equipping. The main reason that, that we exist, like this is, 
This is reason number one. That's why it's painted on the wall out there. Is we exist to proclaim Jesus as Lord. We want to make disciples of Jesus. We want to proclaim him as Lord. And one of the ways that we disciple and equip people, again, is by, ask, by encouraging you to ask questions. So the second question I got was significantly more serious. Okay? Um, I had actually, and I had another person ask me this in person. So last week we talked about Revelation 17 through 20. We talked about those four chapters. And remember, there's this scene at the beginning of Revelation chapter 17 where we're introduced to the prostitute and she's, she's riding this great beast. And we talked about what she was wearing and how she was adorned. And John's response to her, remember this was the Mulholland paraphrase, John's response to her was, she's hot, right? Do you remember that? He was fascinated by her. Um, and this was the question I got. If the text says that John was astonished at what he saw, couldn't that also just mean he was amazed at what he saw? I don't think it was necessarily directed towards her beauty. What evidence shows he thought she was beautiful or, to use my word, hot? Like, that's a great question. See, we want to we have a space. We want to encourage you to ask questions. If you'll notice, what, what, uh, the, guy, the, the team in the back throws up got that right there. Um, here's, what, um, here's what Logan says about that. I throw that, that up on the screen whenever John says something weird. Okay, so that's so when you see that pop up, like it's because I've said something weird and that's not like, oh, man, I have this question. I'm afraid to ask it. I'm embarrassed to ask it. I don't want to know the answer to it. No, we want you to ask questions. So this person asked this question. So I thought it would be good to talk about it for for a minute. Um, remember a few things about our our book of not our book, the book of Revelation that we've talked about throughout this series. Number one, this this isn't a linear book. Right? It's not happening in order. It's not starts here, then this happens, then this happens, and this happens. We've seen time and time again how it's, it's circular. Like these things happen, and then again, we see them happen again in a different way, and we see them happen again. Here's the second thing that we've talked about. This, this book, this letter, cannot mean to us what it did not first mean to them. It cannot mean to us what it did not first mean to them. It was written to us, or it was written to them and for us. One of the things that we've kind of talked about is there's a lot of comparing and contrasting throughout this book. And I, I hope, as you have been reading this, my, my hope for you is that you have read this every single week. And if you have, you will, you will have grown during this series. In fact, this past Tuesday night, when we, were, when, we, when we were reading it again in our Tuesday small group, there was like something popped out at me that I had never seen before. And it was one of these comparisons and contrasts. And just as an example, do you remember, um, do you remember the dragon and the two beasts? They formed an unholy trinity, right? They mimicked, they were a copy of the real trinity. And then we've also been introduced to two women. Did you notice that? Did you pick up on that? One of these women is a godly woman. We said she was Mary, but, not, but not, not always Mary. She was more than Mary. And then we're introduced to a prostitute, right? So one of the things that we can do, we're trying to teach you how to study the Bible here. So when you see these things, you can notice them and you can make comparisons and you can see what, what John in this text is trying to do. And one of the things that we have frequently talked about throughout this series is how John is using the language and the symbolism of the Old Testament, because they would have been familiar with it. They would have understood it. 
So John doesn't explain these things to us because he didn't write the letter to us. And he really doesn't explain these things to the original readers because they would have been familiar with the Old Testament, right? So what does all that have to do with the woman being attractive? Well, in the book of Proverbs, if we were to flip back there, we would find two women in the book of Proverbs as well. Throughout the book, woman, uh, wisdom is personified as a woman, one to be honored and loved. So if you read through the Proverbs, you're going to see wisdom personified in the person symbolized by a woman. But then you're also going to see um, foolish immorality personified as a woman, as an immoral, promiscuous woman. And here's the thing in the book of Proverbs. She's never presented as unattractive. The foolish, immoral woman, which represents foolishness, is always presented as attractive. See, so it makes sense that John would see this prostitute and would think she was attractive. Does that make sense? Because sin is not unattractive. Sin is alluring. What else would we expect? If we knew sin for what it really was, we would reject it, right? If we, if we, in our years, however old you are, however long you've been a Christian, and you, you, if you could go back and you could, you could tell your younger self about the ugliness of sin, wouldn't you do that? The thing that looked so good when you were younger, the thing that you fell into when you were younger, wouldn't you go back and tell that person? See, the devil is a deceiver and an accuser, and it is setting before us something that's attractive. Don't miss that. Don't miss the attractiveness of sin. But also don't don't fall for it. So again, we're finishing Revelation um, today. Yesterday, we had a grandparenting uh, workshop here yesterday. We had about 35 people. It was awesome. And at the very beginning, we were, we're, we're, watching this, we're watching this Zoom, and the person who was kind of leading it shared this little devotion, and she talked about how when she woke up yesterday morning, she heard a song called Keep Me in the Moment. And what she said was, my prayer for, my prayer for you today as you're going through this grandparenting workshop is that you would be in the moment. So she prayed for that. She prayed that, they, that everyone in the room would be kept in the moment, right? That we wouldn't be distracted. And it was really interesting because as soon as she was done praying, someone else started to speak. And literally, the second the other person started to speak, somebody's phone went off. Now, I don't think Satan sent that person a text message. But here's what I think. Actually, here's what I know. We live in such a distracted age where our our affections and our attentions are completely pulled away from what God would have us be about. So I'm gonna pray for us this morning that God would keep us in the moment. Let's pray. God, um, we just lift up this time for you and we pray that you would keep us in the moment that the things that are distracting to us would, would not overpower you. And it's in your son's name we pray, amen. So before we read Revelation 21, um, one to seven, let's just, let's, 
Let's read this transitional paragraph from the end of chapter 20. This is Revelation 20, verses 11 to 14, 15. If you're using the YouVersion Bible app, all these are in there. You can follow along. And I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. The earth and sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And the books were open, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up its dead and death and the grave gave up their dead and all were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is the second death and anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. So one of the things that culturally, here's uh, the phrase that they used yesterday that I, I really liked was cultural deceit. Here's one of, here's one of the, the great deceits of the culture in which we live. Our culture says that everybody goes to heaven. That's what our culture says. Everybody goes to heaven. But when we read this text from Revelation, not everybody does. And see, we have to reconcile that then, right? As Christians, we have to, we have to reconcile our culture says this, the Bible says that. Like, where do these things, um, where do these things meet? And again, this, like, this isn't a scare tactic. This is my life, your life, is going to determine where you spend eternity. And the key determiner in that is my, your relationship with Jesus. And those that aren't in that relationship, like the scripture just tells us that they are cast into the lake of fire. Well, that's kind of a weird ending to this. Like, what about everybody else? What happens to them? That's Revelation 21, 1 to 7. And it's, I think it's kind of interesting. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. And the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven, down from God, out of heaven like a beautiful bride dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying, or pain. All of these things are gone forever. Can you even imagine that world for a moment? And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I'm making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished. I'm the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings and I will be their God, and they will be my children. Right? So, end of chapter 20. People whose names are not written in the Lamb's Book of Life. They're going somewhere. They're cast out from God's presence. They're cast into the lake of fire. And what about everyone else? Like, where are, where are they going? That's the question, right? Where are they going? Uh, nowhere. When we read the first seven verses from Revelation chapter 20, they're not going anywhere. This is not, as we talked about before, the book of Revelation is not jettison and abandon. Do you remember that? 
the sci-fi movie where everyone has to leave the space station before it blows up, and it's a mad dash to the last, to the last rescue craft. Like, that's not the image that we see happening here in the Bible. And in fact, over the last seven weeks, I would, I would challenge you, would challenge you to point to a single verse from the book of Revelation that gives any indication that you are leaving here. I would challenge you to do that. I don't think we've read a single verse. I don't think we've seen a hint that we are getting out of here before God returns. And I would argue um, that's because you're not. Like We don't see that in the text because we're not leaving. This book that I've been reading called See the Strange by Brett Davis, um, he says this, as his seven churches endure hardship, struggle, mistreatment, and abuse, John does not tell his seven churches, don't worry, this isn't our home. One day we'll fly away, oh glory. God will take us to another world. God will take us to another existence. He continues, he says, Revelation is not about evacuation, it's about invasion. And what God is doing, what we read from his text, is God is invading earth. God is coming here. He's coming here to make all things new, not all new things. See the difference between those two things? He's making all things new, not all new things. He's coming to redeem and to restore and to resurrect. It's not a reboot. He's not starting over for us. He's coming to make everything new. I love the text, no more death or sorrow or crying or pain and making all things new. It's one of my favorite texts in the entire Bible. And I can't wait for that moment. That text really came alive for me when Anne was diagnosed with cancer the first time in 2008. As I was trying to, as I was trying to reconcile what was happening uh, to my wife, as I was trying to reconcile what was happening in my family with what the Bible has to say, with this hope for the future, that text just one day leapt off the page to me. I can't wait until all of our tears are wiped away. No more cancer. No more pain. No more sorrow. No more crying. This is so hopeful. And it happens when God comes to us. When God invades us. God is coming to earth to be with his people. Who are his people? That's a great question to ask. Who are his people? Well, they're the ones who have been spending their time loving and serving and honoring the unbelieving world that curses them. We've talked about this time and time again for the last 20 chapters of the book of Revelation. How the entire known world, the Romans are all coming against God's people. And time after time after time, Jesus tells them, don't fight back. Don't fight back. Don't use their weapons. Don't curse them. 
Instead, what Jesus says is, love them. Serve them. Follow me. Follow my example as Christ. See, we call this witnessing. It's one of those Christianese words that we don't really know what it means. We think like, if I type a verse on Facebook, I'm witnessing. Or if I put a bumper sticker in my car, I'm witnessing. Especially the one that says, warning, in case of rapture, this car will be um, driverless. Boy, that's a great witness move, isn't it? So here's going to be a two and a half ton car speeding down the highway at 75 miles an hour when the rapture comes, right? Witnessing is us loving people, telling people about Christ. We talked about this last week, Revelation 19. Jesus doesn't win this battle in a pitched fight, right? It's not Lord of the Rings. How do God's people win? He tells us in Revelation 19 that his army wears the finest of pure white linen, and that has nothing to do with clothes. If we go back to earlier in chapter 19, we read that fine white linen represents the good deeds of his holy people. So if you want to win, you're going to clothe yourselves with good deeds. That's how we win. Well, that's how you win, because Jesus has already won. This is how we win. God and those who patiently suffered with him invade the earth. Heaven descends. Heaven comes to earth because God has always come down to be with his people. Have you noticed that in the Bible? Have you seen that? See, this is why all the time, I know I say that all the time because we say it all the time. We tell you to read the Bible because we want you to see patterns and examples. God is always coming down to be with his people. He did it when Adam and Eve were in the garden. In the cool of the day, he came down to be with his people. He did it at Babel. He, did it to come, he came down to Abraham and then to Moses. He was at Sinai. He was in the tabernacle and he was in the temple. Jesus was in a manger Jesus came out of the tomb. See, Jesus is pursuing relationship with us. He's always pursuing relationship with us. So it is fitting to, to, to make that transition from chapter 20 into chapter 21 and see in the ultimate fulfillment, God is coming down to be with his people. And I don't know about you, but I am thankful for a God who persistently and consistently pursues relationship with me. Because on my own, I just don't want anything to do with him. Is that true for you? Is God pursuing you. God is pursuing you. He's chasing you. And that is really, really good news. And last week, Dave Parrish in our elders meeting said this, we are promised the presence of God in our lives today through the Holy Spirit. See, God, God isn't just coming to earth in like some future space and time event. And this is where, this is where that whole revelation not being linear thing, we need to get that out of our head God is already with us. If you're a follower of Christ, God is already with you. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. He's dwelling li like literally. And I know we overuse that word. 
but God is dwelling literally in you as a follower of Christ through the Holy Spirit. And then one day, like he's physically going to show up. And that's really awesome. And I'm excited for that. And I'm excited that God is dwelling with me now. So who are God's people? Here is chapter 21, verse 7. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. Who are God's people? They're the ones who are victorious. And see, this is why this is not a universalistic message. This is why everyone going to heaven doesn't work. Because not every person is victorious. Now that victory only comes through Christ because of what he's done for us with the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't do anything to earn my salvation. I don't work to earn my salvation. I don't do any of those things. My victory comes through Jesus Christ and your victory comes through Jesus Christ. But it's only people who accept that victory who are his people. This is chapter 21, verse 27. Nothing evil will be allowed to enter, nor anyone who practices shameful idolatry or dishonesty, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. See, God's people are the ones whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Again, this isn't a message of universalism. Don't read through Revelation, skip the end of chapter 20, flip to 21 and be like, oh, God comes to heaven with his people. Here he is, we're all in. It's not what John is telling us here. God's people are those who are written in the book. Not the ones, listen carefully, not the ones who are more moral than their neighbors. We have, this, we have this mindset sometimes that because I'm not like them, I'm better, right? This message of universalism that, that I am like smashing with a hammer right now about our culture. Like some of us are sitting there thinking, yeah, well, well what about this person? Because they're surely not as bad as that person. And usually, you know, first person, this person is usually me, Right? I'm not as bad as every other person in the room because if you want me to make a list of all of your sins, like I can do it. I just, like, I just read what you put on Facebook. Right? This isn't about being more moral than our neighbors. The people who sin less are not the ones written in the Lamb's Book of Life. The people who sin differently than me, I'm not in the book because they sin differently than me. They have worse sins than me. The Lamb's book of life is filled with people who belong to the Lamb. The Lamb's book of life is filled with people who have been purchased by him and and who are marked by him. And remember, just like the mark of the beast isn't a UPC code in the middle of your forehead, God's seal, like it's not Jesus on your forehead. It's the way you live your life. It's the way you think. It's the way we act. See, God's people have God's 
commands written on their foreheads. Their minds are oriented towards God. God's people have his word tied around their wrists because the actions they do are oriented towards God. They're living a life in active pursuit of who God is. That's what it means to be in the Lamb's Book of Life. To be bought by Jesus and to demonstrate that righteousness every single day of our lives. And we are going to fail and thank God that I have a God who pursues me. Right? Can you imagine that for a minute? If the setup was, I'm going to save you, but you have to be perfect until you die. Like how many of us are done the next hour? But that's not, that's not the pursuing God that we worship. The pursuing God that we worship says, I repent of my sin and I'm gonna fail again and I'm gonna repent of my sin and God is gonna come and he's gonna be like, I love you. I'm merciful to you. And that sounds crazy, right? Because that's not, that's not how we function. That's not our real world. Well, that's why John is revealing to us something different in this book. What John is saying is all the things that you see, that you're a part of, all the ways that people interact with one another, there's something different. There's a God who pursues you. Here is, here's the question again, who are God's people? This is chapter 22, verse seven. Look, I'm coming soon. Blessed are those who obey the words of prophecy written in this book. That ought to sound really familiar to us because if we flip back to the beginning of Revelation and we read Revelation 1, verse three, God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church. He blesses all those who listen to the message and obey what it says for the time is near. So God's people are those who are obedient. God's people are those who have been changed by it. Because there are, there are lots of people who hear what the Bible has to say Talked a little bit about this yesterday. For lots of people who hear what the Bible has to say, maybe even memorize scripture. And it doesn't transform their life. And that's why for you, for our church body, I pray every day that you would, that you would grow in your wisdom and knowledge of the Lord that would lead to transformation. I don't just pray that you'll read your Bibles more. That's a really good thing. But if you're not transformed by it, it doesn't matter. You can memorize without being transformed. Here's 22:14. Again, that question, who are God's people? Blessed are those who wash their robes. They'll be permitted to enter through the gates of the city and eat the fruit from the tree of life. God's people are the ones who are working at their salvation in fear and trembling. They're clothed in their good deeds. See, God's people are those who have been changed from the inside out. Because if, if this was just about white clothes, we could probably go find something, right? If this was just like about an outward appearance, 
Every single one of us in this room can put on a fantastic show and, and make everyone think like we have our lives put together. We're so perfect. Like people looking from the outside in will, can look at us and we just, we just have our lives put together. We don't let any, anything through the cracks. But the transformation, the thing that God is after is inside out. Chapter 22, it says that God is coming to be with his people soon. Soon. That's a little ambiguous, isn't it? Soon. Years ago when our kids were little, before smartphones, before GPSs, we had this thing called MapQuest. Does anybody remember MapQuest.com? If you're going to go somewhere, you went to MapQuest. And what you would do is you'd put your beginning location in and you'd put your ending location in and you'd hit print and you'd have like 82 million pieces of paper all print off your printer, right? And then 20 minutes into your drive, those sheets of paper would just be all over the inside of the car, right? We'd have maps and we'd highlight our route and we would go. And I don't know about you, but I think our kids asked us 82 million times. Just like that. You even got the wine. That was perfect. Right? Are we there yet? And we would just say, soon. Right? We're going to be there soon. We're going to be there soon. And the interesting thing is, like, if, if they were looking at that map, if they could find the right map quest sheet of where we were at on the highway, right? Or if they were looking at a roadmap, they could kind of see where we are, and then the soon would be more meaningful, right? It would be more hopeful. It would have more anticipation in it. It would be more promising and more true. And what the church needed to hear what these seven churches needed to hear with the entirety of the culture coming against them. They needed to hear that Jesus was coming soon. They needed to know that heaven was going to descend and fulfill every single promise from the Old Testament. That was what they needed to hear. That God was coming soon. And Revelation uses this language. It uses the language of the new heaven and the new earth. That's from Isaiah 65, 17. The new garden of Eden. That's from Ezekiel 47, which if you read through chapter 22 this week, I don't have any time for this, but I'm going to read it anyway. Then the angel showed me a river. This is Revelation 22. A river with the water of life clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down the center of Main Street. On each side of the river grew a tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit and a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine and to heal the nations. And like we read that and we, we get wonky, right? What does this mean? What does this mean? What does this mean? Ezekiel 47 talks about a new garden of Eden with fruit trees on both sides of the river, a new crop every month, and leaves used for healing. See, this text is, is doing so much more than what we usually do with it, isn't it? 
We, we, revela- we read Revelation and we think it's a puzzle that we have to put together. A couple weeks ago, Anna and I bought a thousand piece puzzle. We decided we wanted to be puzzlers. We bought a thousand piece puzzle of Mount Rushmore. I think it had like four colors, like it made four colors. We did the outside of it, two, like two additional pieces on the inside, and then we called the marshes and said, you guys just come and do it. See, the book of Revelation isn't a puzzle. It's not something to be constructed. It's telling us of God coming to earth to be with his people, fulfilling every promise, and giving life to those who desire it. And that last little phrase, those who desire it, that's really, that's really the question as we finish out this study together. Is do you desire it? Do you want this life? Are you hungering and thirsting for righteousness? Do you long for righteousness like a deer pants for water? Are you loving your neighbor as yourself? Are you loving the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength? Because that's what, that's what desiring this life looks like for us. It does not just mean hearing this and walking out the door. Well, I heard a message today on this. My life isn't going to change. I'm not going to do anything with it. This is about pursuing God back because he is pursuing you. And we all make this decision. We all make this choice. Again, this isn't like not a fixed, cho- fixed point in time choice that we're going to make. I demonstrate which kingdom I'm a part of every single day. Today when I get in the car and Ann and I drive to Omaha, I'm going to demonstrate what kingdom I'm a part of. I'm going to show that. We make our own decisions. And what's interesting, did you notice that Jesus tells John not to seal the book? Do you know why? Because it's not a secret. So many of us pursue life as, as, as though it's something we have to figure out. Meaning and purpose. If I could just discover the one thing. And we have this book I don't know about you, I think I've got like 40 copies. We have this book, and it is telling us the meaning and purpose of life, and it's not sealed. We have access to it. We can read it, and we can study it, and we can see what God has for us. And the question is, do you desire that? Do you desire life? If you do and you've never made that decision, I would just love to have a conversation with you about what life looks like, about how you can have this, how you can be written in the Lamb's Book of Life because of what Jesus has done, not because of what you have done. Could you imagine how challenging that would be for you if, if the only way you were in was because of your deeds? How would you do? How would you compare to Jesus? Jesus is offering us life. Here's how we summarized Revelation. Revelation is an apocalyptic and prophetic letter written to the church. 
calling them to patiently hopeful endurance in the midst of suffering and persecution as they await the return of Christ in judgment and salvation. My hope and my prayer for you is that this study, that our time together, has created in you patiently hopeful endurance. You are excited for God to return. And not just to get out of here and for this whole thing to be over, but that you would be in relationship with him and you would stop pursuing all of these other things and you would just rest in him. Let's pray. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let anyone who hears this say, come. Let anyone who is thirsty Come, let anyone who desires drink freely from the water of life. And I solemnly declare to everyone who hears the words of prophecy written in this book, if anyone adds to what is written here, God will add to that person the plagues described in this book. And if anyone removes any of the words from this book of prophecy, God will remove that person's share in the tree of life and in the holy city that are described in this book. He who is the faithful witness to all these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. May the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's holy people.